One guest, 10 songs, 10 reasons. Music was my first love on Radio Glamorgan. My very special guest today is a British singer-songwriter regarded as being among the first generation of pop stars to emulate American rock and roll. He was a regular on TV music shows such as Oh Boy, Six Five Special and Boy Meets Girl. He's been on the stage in Bye Bye Birdie. He's been performing for eight decades. In 2017, he was appointed an MBE and in 2020 had a brand new album enter the UK charts. With hits such as Teenager in Love, Sea of Love, Donna and Rubber Ball, he has firmly cemented his place in the history of British music. I'm talking about Reginald Leonard Smith, known to you, me and quite frankly everyone as Marty Wilde MBE. Much to talk about, and we'll hear from Marty after his first choice from Mike Oldfield. Marty Wilde, welcome to Radio Glamorgan's Music Was My First Love, and I hope we find you well. I'm doing okay at the moment, Andrew. Good. Strange times. Very strange times. Are you stuck in most of the time? Yeah, well, I mean, I had to adhere to rules. I was... uh... I got caught out. I went up my golf club for a quiet snack around about two weeks ago, and one of the men in there, there who I didn't uh, hardly ever spoke to, uh, he had COVID and no one knew. And then, of course, when they found out, um, I had to, I had to duck down for nine days, and uh, which was really, it, it's a problem, especially if you're in business, because I was trying to do things. I had studio books, and I couldn't do anything. It really set me back, and. Uh, it's, I mean, it's not the end of the world, but it's, uh, and, and the main, most important thing was I did you know, I, I hadn't got it, so. No. Um, and he, I think, I believe he's getting over it now, so. Good. It was, uh, but it was a worrying time, very worrying for the family. Yeah, I'm sure. Particularly of, how can I put this uh, politely, of the middle-aged age bracket that you're in. Absolutely. I, I mean, I'm first in line if when this, uh. New injection where they're going to put in your arm, I guess, is comes through. I shall be there in the queue. <laughs> My age dictates that I shall be right up there for the old COVID dose, whatever it is going to be. Tell us about your first choice for Mike Oldfield. Uh, well, I, I, I happen to respect Mike Oldfield greatly. I've got most of his early albums. It just was a love affair from the beginning. I love instrumentals, and I love things that are modernish and well thought out and technically correct. You know, he, he just is. He's just a wonderful musician. And Tubular Bells, the first album, really cemented, as I say, my, my love for his work. <clears throat> I love this track. I absolutely love it. Strangely enough, I, um, I was telling my, my youngest daughter, Roxanne, I said, have you heard it? And she had heard it briefly, but now it's one of her favorites, so I passed it on to her. When I asked him about it, she said that, She'd included it when she did a, some of her European tour last year. Um, she included it in the show, and she said it went down a storm. And, of course, it would, you know, being a European, with mentioning France, I guess. But it, it's just a lovely song. It's, it's such a happy, well-crafted, great instrumentation on it, great chord changes. You know, absolutely perfect. And it's happy. Which we need at the minute. Did you have music growing up at home? I had a very, let's say, a musical father who, who loved to harmonise to all the tracks that were, or anything that was played on the radio, he would just harmonise. So as a very young child, I grew up listening to what he was doing and I could, I found I could do it dead easy. So I grew up harmonising all the time. And, and then I, I had a teacher who, at school who 
very keen on classical music. So he used to play us and the, and the rest of the boys uh, classical music. And, and I, I took to that very quickly as well. And then rock and roll came along. So it, it's always been there with me. Music is, is it is, it's probably, apart from my family, the most important thing in my life. It's just so popular. I can't even put words, you know, I can't even describe it because I wake up every morning with a song in my head. I'm going to write something or I'm listening to something in the middle of the night. I dream about it. I dream about songs. It's crazy, but it's got worse. (laughs) (laughs) So don't ask me why. I've no idea. But that's why I've been writing so much, um, you know, over the years. And uh, it's just, it's a wonderful it's a gift. It's free. It's non-taxable. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Johnson can't get his hands on it, and uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just a lovely thing. It's, 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 it's one of the greatest joys. See, I don't have a religion. I'm not a religious person mm. at all. I'm not a total atheist, but I'm, I don't have no religion. So it's, it is my religion. It, you know, it can raise the hairs on my arms. It can make me cry. It can make me laugh. It's got everything. But the, the beauty of music is, as you say, laugh and cry. You want to put your favourite record on when you meet a girl you love. You want to put your favourite record on when she dumps you, when somebody gives birth, when somebody dies. It's there for every occasion, isn't it? It is. Well, it's not read a great deal about it, what's ever been reported about it. It's a very spiritual thing, you see. It is. Anything that can make... How can something make the hairs on your arm stand up? Yeah. Or the back of your neck? What can do that? You tell me. And it's just unreal. I mean, all right, electricity could do it if you're in an electric chair. <laughs> that, you know, it's, um, it, it, there's something extremely spiritual about it. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, I, and I, also sounds go right through the universe. You know, whales have, you know, I'm not talking about your whales. I'm talking about whales have sounds right. that go yes. right around the world. You know, there's, there's something spiritual in this. A lot more than meets the eye. Your second choice, Marty, is a 1968 recording from The Casuals, written by Frere Manston, who I think you know very well. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, yeah. That song started, um, it was just something, I, I, I had a, one of these electric organ things indoors, and I started to play it, and I, I don't play, I can only play in one chord, it sounds a joke, in C. So I play, I was playing around with this thing, and I started to play on the I gradually, you know, one of mine, I started to give it my close to do. Gradually, this song came out. And um, I got together with um, another fellow writer, a great writer called Ronnie Scott. And um, uh, Ron, uh, I, I didn't think it had anything at all. But Ronnie said, there's something about this. Let me just add a bit to it. And he added a section to it, which made it even better. And um, that was it. We... We put it on a little two-track tape recorder, left it, forgot all about it, and then one day, Ronnie said, a group have covered it. And I thought, oh, don't worry about it. It was just a silly little track. Not a silly track, but a track on a, on a, you know, on a little tape recorder. But then I was blown away because it was the, the casuals. And every day, the publisher, uh, bless him, used to ring me. His name was Tony Hiller in Denmark Street. And Tony would say, hey, Marty, he said, uh, the Casuals, Jasmine, your record, I said, yeah, your song you wrote, he said, it, it's sold 28 copies today. So I said, well, what's that? He said, yesterday it sold 10. So I said, what's that? So he said, don't you see what it's doing? It's doubling up. Hmm. You watch what happens tomorrow. And if it does, you're going to be on a winner. The next day, it was something like 50. 
and and I knew we were on a winner. Uh, it's a strange anomaly, a strange thing, but that's what happened, and and of course it was. And I love it. I love their version of it. Just a sweet song. What can you say when a girl doesn't want to know? Do you remember when you first heard and fell in love with rock and roll? Yep, I certainly do. Heard a few things on radio, but couldn't get the full impact because you could not get the full impact of what what rock and roll was on a like an inch and a half speaker, which was in the little Bakelite radios that we had or whatever they were made or plastic. So I, I, there was been all this publicity about you know guys, youngsters ripping up seats in cinemas with excitement and all this business and. I thought, well, I, I, I've got to go and see, you know, I love music. I've got to go and see it. And it was a Blackboard Jungle. The second that record came on, because it starts off, it opens up the film, Bill Haley's flat Rock Around the Clock, I was blown away. I knew that was my rhythm. I knew that was going to be the biggest thing in my life. It took over completely. And um, I walked out that cinema, and I, at that time I was in charge of a... I was in charge. I was the lead singer of a group called The Hound Dog. And when I went, I met them, some of them, because they were all schoolboys. I met them and they said, we're not doing any more skiffle. I said, what, we're not? No. I said, no more skiffle, rock and roll. I said, that is it. I said, I've, I've just found something in my life that, that's, that's so incredible. And, of course, we all blown away and we... and. Um, and that was it. <laughs> and who, who were the, the... Obviously, you mentioned Bill Haley, but who were the heroes and inspirations? Uh, oh, well, after... Haley wasn't really... I just loved the rhythm. Uh, I wasn't a huge Bill Haley fan, but I loved the rhythm. And sort of like, you know, was listening to Bebopalula, Gene Vincent, and I liked that. But then my, one of the guys in my skiffle group, strangely enough, he said, I've got... I bought the Elvis Presley album, he said. So I said... Yeah, I said, I've heard it. I said, I'm not keen on him, because all I've heard was, um, uh, what was the, I can't remember his first record now, but since my heart record. Yeah. And um, so I didn't, you know, I, I couldn't tell much about his voice from that, because it was all in absurd echo, you know. So um, he uh, he said, well, I, I'm, gonna, I'm selling it. Do you want to buy it, yes or no? So I said, well, how much? He said, 17 and 6. And funny, strangely enough, I'm staring at it now, because I'm, I'm in my studio, and it, it's it you know it it it's it right there in front of me, and there it was. It's a bit torn now, but it's seventeen six worth of pure pure heaven, and that was it. That sealed it for me. That was one of the greatest albums ever made for me, as a rock and roll keen rock and roll follower. It was the, one of the greatest albums ever made, and still is. Well, we'll we'll talk more about the man in, in shortly. For your next choice, American violinist Joshua Bell. Tell me about Ladies in Lavender. Well, I saw the film, um, which was okay, you know, a good film. Um, you know, good acting and everything, and uh, got the gist of the story. But the music, it was something about the theme which remained with me. And then, so I downloaded it, and um, I got to love it, absolutely. It's one of my top favourites. Uh, I often mention it in, uh, in programmes where they think I'm going to pick a rock and roll song, and then I pick this song. But I find it extremely emotional. It, it, um, unfortunately, it reduces me to tears. So I have to be careful where I am when I listen to it, because no matter almost where I am on, or any point of the uh, or any time of the day, I I, I get very emotional. I, I, it's so emotional, and I 
uh, at one time I had to give two dogs away that were causing problems. With, I had five dogs. Two of them were biting the others to bits. So we had to go down to the PDSA. And I took the dogs and um, uh, I came back. And, of course, uh, I, this music was playing and it absolutely devastated me. It would just sort of capture that whole moment when I had to say goodbye to two creatures that I love dearly, but, they, you know, were just a problem. So for me, it's an emotional, stunning piece of beautiful music played beautifully by a top violinist, Joshua Bell. Wilde's third choice on this edition of music was my first love, a ladies in lavender from Joshua Bell. So you've discovered music and especially rock and roll. How and when did you decide that you wanted to be part of that? Oh, uh, immediately. I'd wanted to be a pop singer uh, from the age of around about four, I suppose. It was in me all the time. Um, I was telling people when I was 14 that I was going to be a, a, a singer. That's what I wanted to be. But it took from where I was, you know, some kid in a, you know, we weren't, we weren't very well off. We were like most people, didn't have any, hardly any money at all. Much chance of me getting on the radio, you know, or being a star. Um, but obviously rock and roll changed that. But I made a demo record for a girlfriend I had to <laughs> Her name was Rose. And uh, we were at the seaside. And I, I sang this song, um, I think it was uh, Wanted, it was called Wanted, someone who's da da Da, 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 and so much. Lovely old song. And I sang it on this. They had this old-fashioned, like, played on vinyl it was. It was scratching away. But anyway, I recorded it. When I listened to it back, it was absolutely awful, but <laughs> she liked it. And, um, yeah, you know, that was... <laughs> that was, uh, you know, I, I wanted to be a singer all the time. Uh, I, I went in for a, a competition once, and... And uh, when I was about, mm, let me see, I was 13, and I lost that, I came bottom. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it was just a you know, learning process. If I did make it, I really appreciated it. And at that time when you recorded, was it in the studio, was it live or singers and musicians recording separately? When, when I first started, uh, to record properly, you mean? Yeah. When I recorded properly, yeah, that was in the studio. Those were the days when, um, when all my records... Well, those early records, they were on four track. That that went quite quickly then on to eight track. But when the conductor raised his his um, you know his baton and um, struck up, you knew damn well you had to get it right, mate. You didn't have all that many takes. Otherwise, 
you would be starting getting black looks um, from the, your A&R man, you know, mm. your main man, and also a few smirks from musicians who, who <laughs> find it funny that this rock and roll singer couldn't get it right. So, <laughs> so you had to get it, you had to be on the money. So you had to get it within about, I'd say, six takes. No messing if you singing slightly sharp or your timing was slightly out. Tough. That's what went on the record. And, of course, many of the records, it wasn't only the singers who were making mistakes. On Elvis Presley's records, there are mistakes on, on those. There are on, on that, the, the Elvis, Elvis Presley album I mentioned earlier. There are mistake bass parts. Bill Black was playing bass parts. Sometimes it was just slightly wrong. These things happened. And mm. they all went on because you only had about, <laughs> you know, six tapes to do it. You know, it was... Um, it was a tough time for singers, really. But a lot of people are recording like that again now, all together, the likes of Van Morrison, and even Bruce Springsteen's new album with the E Street Band, they're, they're playing it live. Yeah, well, that is the test of a good singer. I mean, you know, you mentioned mentioning people there. Uh, Van is a great singer and a great stylist. I, I, I envy that man's tone. He's got such a wonderful tone to his voice. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's the test of a singer. I mean... Any one of the so many of these things now they can they have a you know I watch the computers and if you sing just let's say you sing just slightly slightly flat then he you know he gets his little his little mouse and he edges up it on the computer yeah. and sharpens it and it, it's taken the it's taken the, the spirit out of a lot of tracks what you do get is absolute perfection but but in some, sometimes music is better not to be perfect it's a bit like people I don't want perfect people. I like people with faults, because then they're human. Now, Marty, we've talked about him uh, a couple of times. Let's have a little chat about Elvis Presley. Nothing like him before or since, really. No, no. A man on his own. One in a... Not not even a, a billion. A one in a, a trillion trillion. The likes of that kind of character don't come along often. It wasn't just the singing voice. It was the way that his career came through... It was the way he looked, the way he moved, what he dressed in, the songs he sang. Everything about this guy was absolutely unique in, in many ways. And he had a not, twinkle not, in his eye. He had, he did, and you know, he just, he just, uh, he was one of those, just one of those magical people. I mean, they they exist. I mean, Sinatra was another one, great, great singer and, and style. You know, great, they got their own style, but. Elvis was kind of exceptional, certainly as far as the features are concerned. I mean, his face was the kind of face it could have been, it could have been, you could go to Rome and see it on one of the walls, you know, in, in stone or, or whatever they may have made of, because it, it, his face was classic. It was a classic face. But, I mean, uh, his voice was, was what got me. That blew me away. And why the track you've chosen, that's all right? Because on, on, the, on that album, Elvis Presley, that was the track that, that I picked out as my favourite. And, of course, ironically, it was the track that, that, that kicked off his career. It wasn't all the other tracks that, that he'd recorded on that album. It was that one song. And there was a... You know, you can tell it was absent. It was one of those moments. Just for, you know, I mean, a bit like sometimes you get a classical piece of music where... All the musicians and the conductor gets the right tempo, and and the musicians all play pretty good with a lot of soul, and you get that rare moment. 
And that's all right, had that moment. It was that magical time. Well, that's all right, Mama. That's all right for you. That's all right, Mama. Just anyway you do, that's all right. Tell me about your next choice, Marty, if only to stop me making a fool of myself trying to pronounce it. I can't. Now, when you say that, <laughs> now, this is a joke. This is a joke, Andrew. And for all your listeners, I, I go on my computer. Now, I love tenor singers. So I love, I love a Pavarotti. He's one of my favorite singers, all-time singers. Now, this man, I mean, I've looked at it. <laughs> I've looked at it. It looks like, because it's J-S-U-S-S-I, I think. Yeah. That, that looks like Yussi to me. I, you wouldn't go Jussi, would you? No. But I can't, I mean, some of you, your listeners are going to be ringing in and saying, this is the way you, <laughs> this is what you say. But I can't but even I can, pronounce the title of it. Nor can I, because it's in French. <laughs> and what I know about France is, is, is dangerous. But uh, what I do know about this piece of track is, you hear it a lot of cla- on Classic FM, and it has two wonderful singers. Um, absolutely uh, uh, singing one of the most beautiful, it, one of the most beautiful pieces of music. Uh, he, he's, he's, I'll try and say his name. It looks like Jussi Bjorling, and he's with Robert Merrill, and it says on here, Au fond du temple saint, le pêcheur pêcheurs, I think it is. <laughs> I can't even say that because I'm a, I can't even speak English. <laughs> But I found it, uh, um, and I, because I love tenor singers, I thought, well, okay, I'll listen to, to you know, and he's a new singer. I, he, he's, he's dead now, bless him, but I'd never heard of him before. Never heard of him. Because all you hear when you talk about, you know, opera singers is Pavarotti, Pavarotti this, or, you know, or, you know the other man as well. But, but this man's voice, oh, my God, it's just, it's just absolutely beautiful. And he when, he, when he combines with this guy, Robert Merrill, they're singing harmony to a most beautiful melody with the most beautiful chord changes. And I, I, if I had a choice, and funny enough, I thought about it, I've thought about it today. If I had a choice, other than being an Elvis Presley singer, I would love to have been that man. I'd love to have been, let's call him Yussi. Um, hopefully that's right, pronounce I would love to have been him. I'd love to sing like him because his voice is perfection. Well, shall I tell you, I'm not a, a classical music fan, but when I was putting this show together, I stopped when they started playing, because it really was beautiful. It's a classic piece of music anyway, but it, it, what can I say? It's, if you want to listen to uh, uh, something that uh, a lot of singers, uh, uh, especially this, this rock and roll singer, would aspire to be, it's just like this man. Uh, I mean, these guys just blow me away every time you, you know I watch anything they uh, they they sing, particularly on videos and things, where like very often they would just sing at the drop of a hat, 
um, they would, if they were doing a TV and they were being interviewed, the interviewer would say, oh, no, we've got the Bee Gees. They'd start singing. Mm. You know, they just would, and they could because they had a unique family sound. It's a family sound. And very different tones, but with the inclusion of Robin, who had the most incredible falsetto and voice, they were incredible sound. Now, they, had, they started off, I know they did, they, were, they kicked off their careers at a very young age, maybe 10 or 11. They started to harmonize and then gradually got known in Australia. But, of course, by the time they came here, they were perfection. I mean, they, they really are. I mean, they couldn't... Uh, if you look at uh, any of the uh, the original li- uh, live re- uh, recordings that they did, they were beautiful. And they, their, their, their writing, their songwriting, which is legendary. Um, you know, I picked this song because, I think for me, it's one of my favorite songs that they that they wrote. Uh, I, I just find it an absolutely a joyous occasion to listen to it. How did you get involved with the stage, and in particular, Bye Bye Birdie? Well, my manager... We were, we were, my career was in the doldrums or semi-doldrums. And he said, we need a boost, we need something. He was approached by God knows who, but the, uh, the, the Americans or someone for, to, for me to play the part of this. I suppose it's fairly obvious. It, it was, um, you know, it was a rock and roller. Uh, um, they picked me and, and, I, and I played the part. It, it wasn't a difficult part. It was a funny part, which uh, I used to, it was a, a a, a sort of a, I know my entrance was fantastic because I used to. They they found out in the play the the father finds out that this girl his daughter has brought home this rock and roll singer who's very very famous and he's upstairs in the bedroom and he comes down the stairs and he's like all dishevelled that was me walking coming down <laughs> the stairs on the stage and of course in his hand he he holds a can of beer and um, you know the audience like what's <laughs> like. Just watching this this guy come down the stairs, this famous rock and roll, all dressed in this you know rock and roll gear with, with this can of beer, and his hair all over the place and looking very dishevelled. He walks all the way down the stairs, he doesn't say a word. There's not one word said, and he just lets out the biggest burp you've ever heard. <laughs> and of course, that was that brought the whole house down. And that was my kickoff. You, you couldn't go wrong, you know. Did you enjoy the experience, apart from, include, apart from the belting, yeah? I absolutely loved it. The only time I didn't like it was when I, I had a dance routine. I turned to pick up this girl. I picked her up, but I twisted my my back and I pulled a muscle which came out like a like a tennis ball and it took me about a month to get over that, um, like to be specially padded up. But one of the good things that came out of it, because I was singing uh, one of the songs, There Are Chicks, just right for this kissing. I got a lot of living to do. Anyway, all that, which is great stuff. Ala Sinatra, well, that kind of song that he would sing. Yeah. Uh, but I'd never done that before, not really. Um, and also, there were no microphones. The microphones were all at the front in the in the, where the head, you know, the, the footlights were, rather than where like footlights. And um, so they brought in an opera singer to teach me how to sing, how to get the volume. Uh, I'm, I mean, so he started, to, he, he, was in, he was Italian as well, saying, Marti, what I want you to do, I want you to sing from your forehead. And I thought, sing from your forehead? What are you talking about, <laughs> you Italian twit? You know, and I sat there and I thought, well, I can't say anything. And I sing from your forehead. The sound comes through the top of your, the top of your right in the middle of your forehead, 
think, push it out, push it out. Oh, my God. <laughs> so anyway, but bless his boots. He was right, and he, he taught me, with you know, how to, to, to breathe, breathe properly, and um, it, it worked. Because, as I say, all the microphones, and I, was, I wasn't at the front of the stage. I was right at the back. And when I had to sing at their places to go, people to go, it really had to be loud to film Her Majesty's Theatre in London. So, which it was. And I came up to Manchester as well yeah. to do it there. So it was, yeah, great experience. Now, when you first heard Kids in America on the radio uh, or saw Kim perform, performing it for the first time or even seen the video, can you remember how, as an incredibly proud father, you felt? Yeah, I can, exactly. First of all, Mickey Most, who was... Uh, Kim's A&R uh, boss, a genius, yep. absolute genius, yep. and I called him, he's one of those few people in my life who was a man of magic, that he could perform magic, and um, uh, we, he picked the track, he loved the track, and I said, he, I said to him, he, he asked me, what, what, did, you know, what, what, where would it go in the charts, what did I think, and I said, well, I think it, you know, it might go in the top 50, Mickey. I think it could definitely go in the top 50. He said, top three. Top three, no question. So I said, oh, well, you know, anyway. So that cut that, that, that decides it. And then, of course, the record started itself. In the, and uh, she was due to do um, uh, Ready, Steady, was it Ready, Steady, Go? Or I think it was. Or whatever it was. And the, the pop, no, the top of the pop. Top of the pop, yeah. Top of the pop. And, um... Anyway, she, uh, I was in, in, we sat down, Joyce and I, my, my dear wife, and sat down, and we watched. And I'd seen all the others. I, I think Adamant was on the show. And Adamant looks a real star to me, like an absolute star. And, um, but then this girl comes on. It's my daughter. And I was blown away. And I can remember exactly my quote. I said to Joyce, game, set, match. That was it. I knew it. I knew it. You didn't. You couldn't look like that. Have a track like that and do nothing. You were yeah. going to do something. You've had a lot of uh, involvement in Kim's career, especially with writing together with your son Ricky. So, why have you chosen "You Came," which happens to be my favourite track off the Close album? Well, it was nothing to do with me. Uh, we were doing. We were recording one of Kim's albums, and I'd. I'd I, I can't remember one of the tracks. I, I, we'd come in with a hit. We had a couple of hits on it. But they were... Four-letter word you wrote, I think, did you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was, yeah, one of my favourites. And um, So, you know, I'd, I'd come in, I'd done, done my bit for, for her. And um, But then it was coming down to the end of the album. And one day I walked into the studio, and Ricky was on his own there. And he was playing this track. He said... Hey, Dad, he said, I've got this. It's a filler. He said, it'll fill the album up. So I said, oh, yeah. So he said, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll play it to you. He said, it's only a filler. And he walked out. And I heard this track. And I thought, are you kidding me? Hmm. This is this is top top five material. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. And I love it. But, but it, I mean, I didn't write it. It was nothing to do with me. It was my, it was my son and my daughter, obviously, Kim, who wrote uh, the words. But... The words are from the heart. They weren't some plastic, you know, let's let's try a hit song type thing. They were words from the heart. She was writing about a cousin. It was a girl, young baby girl. It was about the child she was singing about, and um, it 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 is just so beautiful. And the the backing, I love the, the the backing. Is I can't believe that Ricky said to me that 
an album filler. The production on the track is uh, typical, it's very 80s, isn't it? It's got that 80s sound. Marty Wilde is my very special guest on this edition of Music Was My First Love. And Marty, as we sit here chatting at the end of November 2020, tell me about the latest album, Running Together. It started off around about, I uh, got the idea to do it around about two and a half years ago. And before COVID started, thank, thank goodness. And um, I thought, well, if it's, you know, if I'm, I, how many more albums are going to make? Not many, I wouldn't think. This could well be the last album. And then I thought, well, I can't go keep singing rock around, you know, like um, rock and roll tracks and, uh, you know, blue suede shoes. <laughs> How many times are you going to sing now? I thought, well, why don't you, you, damn it, man, you've been a writer all your life. Why don't you concentrate on writing instead of playing golf, do some work and get out and, and, and stop, you know, get messing around with your pals because I was very much into... Now I was going to be a retired man, you know, and do not do anything in the occasional show. And that started to change. Uh, it, it, it started to change in my mind. And I thought, no, hold on a minute. I, if I'm going to do this, I've got to do it properly. So I stopped drinking and um, because that meant that I would be going down the pub every night, mm-hmm. having a few pints with the boys and a laugh, which was all pleasure and walk. But that wouldn't work. I had to. Do, I had to make this damn album, and so I stopped drinking, and I still don't drink anymore now. So that it did me a big, big favour. And on top of that, um, it, I did it before COVID. I made the album before COVID, and I started to write these songs uh, one by one, bit by bit. And uh, because I'm, I do all the arrangement stuff myself in the studio, um, it took time. Uh, but I wanted to include my daughter, Roxanne, the youngest, yeah. who's been working for, she's been doing BVs, backing vocals for Kylie, for, for 10 years, 11 years, I think, something like that, she's been with her. So uh, I thought, oh, hold on a minute, you know, let, let's, let's, let's get Roxanne's voice. You know, Kim is, is with Ricky, and, and Ricky takes care of Kim now with, with her writing, and, and I'm not involved, so... I thought, right, I'll concentrate on, on uh, Roxy. And, um, and so then I wrote Running Together, which was the, 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 one of the early tracks. Um, and then Kim heard um, another track that I was writing at the time. She came in the studio to listen to what work I was doing. And the 60s world was, was being played. And she said, oh, I've got to be on that track. Um, which surprised me because... She's got her own career, and we've always kept separate. We've never got in, a, in, in each other's way. She's got her life, I've got mine, and, and her career. And um, But she wanted to be on the album, and, and I said, well, if you, yeah, I, I mean, I love it, you know, if you want to sing, that, that's great. So we, then we recorded that together, and I recorded the other tracks with, um, five of the other tracks with, with uh, my, uh, my rock band. So, yeah, that's how it started, and I'm, I'm very proud of it. It's the best album I've ever made. That's great. That's brilliant. And it's doing well? Yeah, it's done, it's done incredibly well. And the great thing about it, it's tough times, you know, to sell things. Yeah. Particularly because of COVID. Um, you, you know, nobody's making money on records, streaming and things like that, you know. Um, Cliff Richard was moaning about it the other day about yeah. streaming and that. And of course, I agree with him totally. I mean, you're not 
You don't, there's no royalties anymore for a songwriter, but, uh, you know, I'm not, oh well, I've made more than enough money. My, my thrill is if someone hears one of those tracks and gets the buzz, and I had a lovely letter, one of the tracks on there is called Eddie, and it's a tribute to Eddie Cochran that I wrote. And just recently, um, I, I've, I've been using, I've been rec- uh, uh, using it on stage to sing, I'm tr- testing it out. And it got a very, very positive, uh, I might say sad response, because people being, sometimes would be crying, and that sounds strange that they were, when I sang this song. And um, so I, I knew that it had some kind of power. So I recorded it, and recently uh, a young fellow wrote to me, just said that he had heard other uh, tribute songs for other singers, but this one had caught him, and he cried, and he, he admitted he cried. And, um, and I think it, it's kind of... I, I cry a lot to songs, so it, I just, I was, I was thrilled. <laughs> I was thrilled to bits that he cried. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to give happiness and, and, and tears as well. It's what we said at the beginning of the show, isn't it? The, the music has so many emotions. Oh, it's, it's, it's <laughs> such a gift. I mean, I feel sorry, people I feel sorry for, who not, I'm, I'm into all sorts of music. If you played me, or oh, I don't know, let's say, come on, come yours from Glamorgan, Let's say you play me a Welsh choir, I will love it. So you know, get me a get me a good you know a good song they're singing, I will love it. And yet there are other people who can listen to Welsh choir and not hear a thing, yeah. or listen to Elvis Presley singing "That's All Right," or listen to you see we're calling you <laughs> <laughs> singing a beautiful French song um, and not hear it. They won't hear it, but I do. I know I get excited, but. It's because I'm an old man and I get excited. Can I tell you something? I know how old you are, but talking to you on the phone, you sound about 55, 60, so you sound fantastic. Do you feel fantastic? I feel mentally, I feel feel incredible. Um, I'm at an age now where, you know, you've got, you know, you're pretty genned up on lots of things and situations and you you're inclined to in the, you know, when you, I, I find certainly with the, the, the men I mix with are my age we don't listen to each other because <laughs> we know all the answers yeah. it's quite it, it happens right around the world I guess uh, you know everyone just keeps quiet now and again someone will say did you see that golf shot or you know or did you hear that and because and, you know darn well they're going to say they know it experienced it done it yeah. you know what I mean for your eighth choice, Marty, you've chosen an absolute classic from a legend. Tell us about Carl Perkins and Matchbox. I love this track. This track, for me, is one of the great rock and roll tracks. And there were some that the public didn't miss, not really, but, I mean, it might have made our charts, but it didn't make it big time. But there are, there are, there are guitar solos on this, which are so... They, if you're a rock and roll fan, which we're, we're, you know, lots of people are, it is one of the defining, fantastic instrumentals. Of, but you know, the voice, yeah, fine. But the guitar playing—he was in a—he was in a league of his own. You know, he's in a, and I had the great fortune, only briefly, of, of meeting him um, uh, backstage. Uh, he was, you know, he just been—he was just about to go on the stage, I think, or something like. Or he just come up one of the two, because we were doing a charity show together, and the, uh, I was introduced to him. And I just had the pleasure of shaking the great man's hand. But uh, oh, what a what what a what a what a rock and roll track! Phenomenal. <laughs> 
recording artists, the newer ones that Marty Wilde listens to now in 2020? Ariana Grande, I heard her the other day. All of them, really. I just listened to a guy called Drake, I think he's called. Yeah. Very good. You know, I, I, mean, I, it's, I don't, I'm not a keen fan of rap, because rap, to me, is not music, it's poetry. So poetry like that doesn't reach me. But, um, you know, most of the youngsters, they're so talented. I mean, they, and they've got so much to offer. They really, they, 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 I can't, what can I say? I can't. I can't extol their, their their talents enough. And there's a lot of the likes of Ed Sheeran and Sam Smith. There's a lot of songwriting youngsters writing their own music, so that if it yeah. comes that their recording career dries up, they've got a career there as many have done before writing for others. Yep, you, you've mentioned two of the greats as well, and in particular Ed Sheeran, a stunning writer, a stunning writer. Yeah, it took me a while to get used to him. As, uh, he came in with sort of. Um, Different sort of, not a different style, but he was, I, I listened to one of his tracks, I quite liked it, but then, I think it was Castle on the Hill, Yeah, one of the tracks, I think, uh, that was the song, that was then, I was listening to Paul Simon, because Paul Simon's work, uh, for me, is like, he's one of my great heroes, and Sheeran has come up with a song, I mean, I'd been, I'd be over the moon to write it, the pace of it, the lyrics, the way it was done, uh, you, you were listening to a young Paul Simon, and I thought, my God, you know, you've, you've got such a career ahead of you. And in the forgetting all the other songs that, he, that he's written, beautiful ballads, um, yeah, he's special. Now, one of the things I've learned since we've been chatting is that you have a love of music full stop. So what I've written down to introduce your next track is a little bit redundant now, but I'm going to read it anyway. I've got down here, almost every guest that we have on music was my first love, and you're the 46th recording, has among their ten songs chosen something that I would describe as a bit left field, something I wasn't expecting. And prior to us talking at the beginning of the show, I wasn't expecting to see Erasure on the list, so tell me about a little respect. Well, I just love their work. I mean, you know, I just love their work. Uh, they're great, you know, great, a great voice, great synths. It was a great... It was one of these, for me... There were a couple like that. There was that, that track, Flock of Seagulls. If Picture of you, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They were the standout feet. And, uh, you know, Andy uh, Andy Bell, the singer, great voice. But Vince as well, that, that I believe that he did most of the synth work. So what can I say? Vince Clark, magic, a magic song. And obviously, I mean, I'd love to have written a song. I'd have given anything. <laughs> you know, some songs are like that. You think, oh... I wish I'd written that, and I love it. It's, it's just so well-crafted, well-sung, beautiful arrangement, well done, boys. Your tenth and final choice on music was my first love uh, is Leonard Bernstein's conducted version of Somewhere from West Side Story. I mean, when I'm down in the dumps, or oh, I'm fed up, musically and uh, particularly emotionally or down in the dumps now and again i'll i will go back to listen to things that maybe i heard a long time ago and west side story my wife and i we were a young couple not long been married and we were taken to see this show now i knew i would never have gone normally to to see a show but the gentleman was a, from uh, a friend of ours and he, he had a bit more sense than, than me and, and more experience in life. 
and he, he said, I, I'd like you and Joyce to join me, and we'll go to... And we, it, funny, ironically, it was at Her Majesty's Theatre in London, and it was West Side Story. We, at the end of it all, I mean, I could hardly talk. I was so choked with emotion, because at the end of it all, he's, he's dead, and they play, there, there's a place for us. And there is, there is a place for us. I'm, as I say, I'm not, I sound religious, don't I? But I'm not religious, but there, there, there will be a time when we, we will be better people. We will somehow. We've got to be, and I think COVID has brought this emotion out even more so with all of us. We need each other so desperately, <laughs> even though, and a lot of the time we never even realised it. We never realised there were mums and dads you might have seen now and again, and then suddenly, suddenly. Your mum and dad, who you were only maybe seeing once every two weeks, suddenly became so special to you and something so needed in your life. I think this this melody and this this somewhere there is a place somewhere where somehow we'll get over this COVID situation and it, it's a, you know all these terrible situations with people that have passed on um, in memory of them and in memory of a future for human beings this music says it all and leonard bernstein was a genius so what can i say beautifully said you've had a long and and successful career which brought you the mbe in 2017 and of course the wild name lives on in music for all of your children as we said before must make you very very proud yeah it is but it uh, strangely enough it's very rarely does it come through to me that way as i've always doing this, you know, I'm doing this and I'm doing that, that project and I'm doing this, and I've always my it was my father's fault but he wanted perfection all the time, which didn't go down too well with me, but he kind of instilled this thing in me so every time, you know what, what, what you know, in the old days it was hysterical really, what, what number is your record, Kim? And she would say well it's gone up to about number three or four, whatever, oh blimey is that all? And that was my attitude <laughs> You know, ridiculous attitude to your children. So they suffered under me because I, I, I'm such a damn perfectionist. And I, when these things, great things, wonderful things have happened to me in, in, my, in my family, but they've gone over my head most of the time. You know, I just haven't realised. Uh, it's only been recently with this COVID situation because I've been working a lot more with, with Kim and Roxanne. We've been singing a lot together live and, and doing right. We, we can't do shows. We've done... Uh, TVs and, and singing at home and sing, making records together. It's brought home this family and, and what a family I've got. And I'm so proud of them, all of them. I've got um, uh, two wonderful boys. I've got Ricky, I've got M- Marty Jr., who's not in show business. He's a landscape gardener. But just as important, he's a, a wonderful human being, and that's all that matters to me. And, and on all of them, I don't judge them on their success so much as what they are as people they are great human beings marty wilde it's been a real thrill and pleasure thank you very very much for coming on music was my first love thank you andrew and um uh, i you know I, I believe this this goes out to a lot of hospitals is that right uh, well it goes out just to cardiff's heath hospital but people listen online as well well all i say to people in the hospital um i wish you all well hope you all can get out you know in, in better health and I hope you enjoy this program uh, as much as I've enjoyed talking to you.
listening to Music Was My First Love on Radio Glamorgan, where Marty Wilde, MBE, has been choosing ten of his favourite tracks. I'm Andrew Wolfe, and please join me again very soon when another guest chooses ten of their favourite tracks on another edition of Music Was My First Love. <laughs> <laughs>